those of you who are visiting, we are working our way through the book of Genesis. It's our practice to work through books of the Bible. We are in Genesis chapter 44. And I will do as I have been doing. Uh, I will read the passage as we move along. So I uh, will not read it first. Let's pray. Father, I ask that your marvelous, infinite grace would be poured out upon us in order that we might not only understand your word, but to believe your word and um, receive the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for any here who do not know him. I pray for any here who uh, lack assurance that they know Him. And I ask God that You would minister by Your Spirit and through Your Word, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. As I mentioned before the class, be- I mean, before the class, before the, the worship service uh, began, we are going to have an inquirer's class uh, beginning next Sunday morning. And it's going to be held during the Sunday school hour. It will be six uh, weeks long. And it will be structured around those five membership vows that uh, Carlos gave his assent to earlier in the service. Typically, uh, Jim Eggert presents the the first two of those membership vows. Um, And this first membership vow, you'll remember that I asked Carlos, uh, starts out like this. Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure and without hope, save in His sovereign mercy? As a part of Jim's explanation of this first membership vow, uh, he always says, and he has it in a little PowerPoint presentation, uh, he says, when we say the vow that we are a sinner, we are not saying that we have committed particular sins, although indeed we have. We are saying something more profound and, and damning. Then uh, Jim compares the statements, I lied to I am a liar, or I got drunk to I am an alcoholic. And he does this to point out the difference between an occasional misbehavior and a habitual pattern of depravity. The reality is, we have not only sinned, but we live in a fallen condition. The Apostle Paul says we are dead in our transgressions and sins. This means that we sin because we are sinners. And in order for you to be a member of this church, you must own that as your condition. You must own the fact that you are a sinner, unable to save yourselves. That you are a sinner in a fallen condition. And I mention this because you will not be able to understand Joseph's method for dealing with his brothers unless you understand the importance that the Bible places on owning fully your sinful condition as well as owning the sins you commit as a result of you being a sinner. You will not only be able to be unable to understand Joseph's methods in dealing with his brothers here in Genesis 44, but you will also not be able to understand truly the message of the Bible. 
nor will you be able to understand the salvation that God provides from sins unless you fully own your sinful condition. Actually, it's even more serious than you being unable to understand. You will not be able to possess the salvation that God provides unless you own your sins. That's why we have that as the first of our membership vows that uh, that we um, hold to across our entire denomination. People have this notion that salvation means that God did His part by sending Jesus to die on the cross and He made salvation possible. And so we do our part by obeying the Ten Commandments and being generally good people. And the idea is that they do their part and then Jesus makes up for those areas in which they don't measure up. And that is wrong. The Bible says you cannot even begin to measure up to God's standards. And it's not simply because God is infinitely holy. That's part of it. But the other part is your sins are more numerous and more pervasive than you realize. From God's, um, from God's end, Him being infinitely holy, and your end, you being sinful, you do not measure up. You will never, ever be able to measure up. I have a friend who likes to say, cheer up, you're worse than you thought you were. <laughs> and that's true. You are a sinner with a capital S. I am a sinner with a capital S. You doubt me? Ask my wife. <laughs> Ask my children. But the good news is, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Carlos taught the children about the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee thought he was a pretty good guy. He thought that he loved God, and he thought because he loved God, God would make up for his deficiencies or overlook his deficiencies. And he was so proud that he was not like that tax collector that was in the back of the church that was so humbled that he couldn't even look up when he prayed. And he, he, he prayed his prayer almost in a whisper. And all that tax collector could pray for was mercy. God, have mercy on me, a sinner with a capital S. According to Jesus, which one went home justified? Was it that Pharisee up at the front of the church? Or was it that tax collector who was so humbled by his sins that he couldn't even look up when he prayed? You get it? You must own your sinful condition. Now, I know some of you are thinking, but it's Adam's fault. I don't have anything to do with it. I wasn't even born when Adam sinned there in the garden. It's not fair. But what you don't realize is that you didn't have anything to do with your salvation either. You weren't there. You weren't born when Christ died on the cross. It's not fair. It's grace. Salvation is all about God's grace. Salvation is free. 
Salvation is unearned. Salvation is undeserved. As long as you refuse to acknowledge fully what the Bible says about you in your condition, then you are keeping your hands closed to receiving His salvation. And you are undervaluing, underestimating His grace. Here's how serious God is about you owning your sinful condition. We all know that God hates sin. That's a given. The youngest of us here in this room know that God hates sin. But did you realize that He multiplied sin in order to make it clear to us how desperate our condition is? Listen to Romans 9, I'm sorry, Romans 3, verses 19 through 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. In other words, God gave all those Old Testament laws not to tell us. Um, what we must do in order to obtain salvation. Rather, He gave us these Old Testament laws to make it clear to us just how far short we fall of His glory. He multiplied laws to make us bigger sinners, to make us sin more often. But this was an act of His mercy so that we would see how much we need Him. If we thought that we were little sinners, if we thought we sinned only every so often, then we wouldn't really know our need of His grace. God hates sin, but He loves us so much that He multiplied sin so that we would see how much we need Him. Our God is a God of grace. That was Romans 3, 19 and 20. Listen to Romans 5, 20. The Apostle Paul says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The law came to increase our sin so that it would magnify God's grace before us, so that we couldn't miss it. So let me ask you, do you see your sins? Do you own your sins? Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure and without hope, save in His sovereign mercy? Do you? Joseph's brothers haven't yet owned. They're selling um, Joseph into slavery. And so what Joseph has been doing as we've been looking at uh, the life of Joseph over these past few weeks, he's orchestrating this drama. And this is not drama in terms of a play. This is drama in terms of, of, of putting the squeeze play on them. Um, this, is, this is drama in terms of him making his brothers uh, understand that they indeed are guilty that they indeed need God's grace. And so we're, we've been looking at step by step of Joseph's plan unfolding. And so Joseph's next um, step in this plan 
is going to cause his brothers to become undone. And just in case you're worried, I'm on page 6 of 10 of my notes, even though I'm just now getting to where I read the passage. We're well over halfway done. You can relax. Listen to the, to the Scripture. As I read Genesis 44, verses 1 through 13. Then Joseph commanded the steward of the house, and the steward his servant, he said, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. And as soon as, as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys, and they had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph sent, sent word to his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? It is not from... Is it not from, from this that my Lord drinks and by this that he practices divination? And of course Joseph didn't really practice divination. This is just part of the ruse to put the squeeze on his brothers. You have done evil in doing this. Verse 6. And he, the steward, overtook them. This is like you're driving along and everything's going great and all of a sudden you see the, the, the uh, flashing blue lights in your rearview mirror. Oh no, you're being pulled over. You know, you're not speeding. What's going on, officer? And that's basically what they say. What have I done? And the steward catches up with them with, with uh, presumably a band of armed men. They pull them over. Uh, verse 6, when he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouth of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. They are so certain that they are righteous in this matter. And we will also be my Lord's servants. And he, being the steward, uh, Joseph's steward, said, Let it be as you say, He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. And they searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. Joseph's brothers haven't yet owned the sin of, uh, of selling um, Joseph into slavery, but you can see now the pressure is building. Uh, this is pretty sneaky on Joseph's part. So now they have to stand before Joseph. And they have to answer for Benjamin's thievery, even though they know for certain that Benjamin did not steal the cup. So listen to what happened in verses 14 through 18. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? Because there's nothing really they can say. So he says, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. 
Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. So, um, this is this would be a tough uh, position to be in. And verse 16 is the key. In verse 16, Judah professes what Joseph has been aiming at all along. Judah said, God has found the guilt of your servants. Now, what's striking about this? It's striking that Judah is not guilty in this instance. Judah knew full well that they were not guilty of stealing this silver cup. Yet Judah is acknowledging his guilt before God. The guilt he is acknowledging goes far beyond anything that they have done in their trips to Egypt. Rather, Judah's admission of guilt, saying that God has found out our guilt, he is admitting to the guilt that is against them when they sold Joseph their brother, into slavery. And that's why Judah referenced God. Because the guilt here that Judah is feeling is not the guilt of stealing some cup or something like that. No, this is guilt that has been hanging on him like a dirty blanket for 20 years. The guilt that he had for selling his brother into slavery. Judah's recognizing that all this bad stuff is now happening because of their, 20, their sins from 20 years earlier had never been dealt with. And so he believes that God is now dealing with, that, with those sins. Moses wrote the book of Genesis to the generation of Israelites who came out of Egypt in the Exodus. Genesis is not simply a history of how, they, how the Israelites came to be God's people. Rather, Genesis is a sermon telling the Israelites, that first generation of Israelites as they came out through the, um, through the Red Sea, telling them about God's greatness, about God's glory, and about God's grace. Genesis is a sermon that tells them about how they need to have faith like Abraham, the father of faith. Um, Genesis, as we have seen, is also a sermon to them uh, that tells them how tempting it will be for them to rely upon themselves rather than God, just like we saw over and over again with Isaac and then with Jacob repeatedly relying on themselves. And Genesis is also a sermon that told that first generation of Israelites that they were sinners, just like Joseph's brothers, Reuben, who had sexual relations with his father's concubine. Um, his other two brothers, who um, slaughtered the town of Shechem. Uh, Judah, who um, did what Judah uh, wanted in every instance. And so the Israelites coming out as they are learning about God after being in slavery for so long, this is one of the key things that God wants them to understand. That they are sinners. God wants them to own their sin. 
And so here, Moses highlights the fact that Judah, for the first time, is owning his sin. Really owning it. The Israelites never remained, or, or never owned their sin. That's why we read in Deuteronomy 9, God told them very frankly, you are a stiff-necked, rebellious people because they never owned their sin. You know, Genesis is also a sermon to us, telling us about God and telling us about ourselves, telling us to, open, to, to own our sin so that we will open our hands and our hearts to receive God's grace. Remember last week how we saw that God began to change Judah's heart? Instead of Judah looking out only for himself, he began to take no thought of himself, but only look out for the well-being of his family. Well, we're seeing further evidence of Judah's changed life. Listen to how fervently and how humbly he interceded for Benjamin's life and freedom. And remember, this is the same Judah that came up with the idea of selling Joseph into slavery. Verses 18 through 32. Then Judah went up and said, Oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears and let not your anger burn against your servant. For you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant saying, Have you a father or brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead and he he alone is left of his mother's children and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. And we went back to your a servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, Go again, buy us a little food, we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother does not go with us, then we will, then we will go, or if our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our younger brother is with him. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my life that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now therefore, as soon as I came to your servant my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant our father with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life life. Did you catch that last phrase? Judah said, I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Judah was doing everything possible to step into the gap to save his brother from this slavery. Selfish Judah has become an unselfish intercessor. I imagine there are some of you here this morning who are discouraged because of lack of change in your life, lack of transformation. You love Jesus, but you still are struggling with the same things. 
here's what Judah did. He owned his sin. He fled to Christ. He died to himself. You do that. And you will begin to experience that transformation yourself. It may be little at times. It may be great at times. You may fall back at times. And you may spring forward at times. But Christ will change your life just like He did for Judah. Judah not only interceded for Benjamin, he also tried to step in as Benjamin's substitute. He said to Joseph, Take me instead. Let me bear his guilt. Listen to the last two chapter, two verses of the chapter. Verses 33 and 34. Now therefore, this is Judah speaking, Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. This is exciting to me. This is taking place nearly 1,400 years before Jesus Christ was born. In Judah's desire to take his brother's guilt, he is demonstrating exactly what Christ came to do, to bear our guilt in His body on the cross. Christ descended directly from Judah in order that Christ might do what Judah desired to do. Just like Judah's brothers, I'm sorry, just like Joseph's brothers, our guilt, our sins must be dealt with. We live in a just universe. You can't escape the fact that God has created this universe as a just universe. The concepts of justice are everywhere, even if we deny it. And the guilt of sins must be paid because God is a just God. And your sins, because of the law and because of your condition, your sins are multiplied to heaven. But we have a Savior who left heaven and came here to earth, took on flesh as we have flesh, to take our sins upon Himself and be our substitute. If you have fled to Jesus Christ, let me give you this word of assurance. If Christ is your Savior, and if you have owned your sin and have given your sin to Christ because you have given yourself to Him, and that you know you have no hope except in His sovereign mercy, if you have come to Him, then your guilt has been cast as far away from you as the the east is from the west. You bear it no more. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank You that You loved us even before we loved You, even while we were sinners even when we were Your enemies. You loved us and sent Christ to be our Savior. 
We thank You that Christ came to be the Savior of sinners. Oh, when we hear that He came to be the Savior of sinners, we own our sin. We do confess along with the Bible. We are sinners. Now, Jesus, come and save us sinners. And we thank You that He has done that. Father, I pray for Your people. Encourage them with Your Gospel. Strengthen them in Your grace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.